Big Year Podcast contains adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. Podcast is a recovery podcast about making this year your big year to embrace your freedom from alcohol and tear down the limits you put on yourself. Hello, all you beautiful people out there in the dark. This is Danny Bell, DB, Timothy Dalton, Asbond, whatever the fuck. Uh, it's Wednesday, February 22nd. I am 244 days without a drink from the date I ditched to the sauce. That would be June 23rd, 2022. Uh, we got a terrific episode coming up for you. Of course, we'll go over the week in general. Uh, it is Carnival here in Ecuador. Maybe Fat Tuesday where you're at something else um so we'll talk about my week in relation to that and then we'll get into a little of this week's news talking about alzheimer's and alcohol and after that comes the reflections part of the episode where i might go into a little more depth on um social pressures one might run into peer pressure some dare type uh jargon i guess i don't know i never liked that phrase peer pressure but we'll talk about social pressures carnival um reflect on why i fucked up so bad last time uh when i tried to quit uh and made it more than a couple months but still failed um also of course towards the end of the episode we'll be doing my favorite part of the episode dear danny where i answer listener questions like dear abby but for assholes okay um, quick correction from last week. I was talking about how I remembered an old girlfriend's bad breath for over 35 years. I am not that old, and I am bad at math. Um, I meant 25 years. Uh, it's embarrassing, that kind of error. I sound like a fool. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Will you ever forgive me? Okay. So let me tell you what's been going on this week, my week, an alcohol-free check-in with me. Um, It's Carnival here in Ecuador where I live right now. Uh, Technically, it just ended and everyone is back to work. So rather than explain to you exactly what Carnival is, because I still don't really get it, I think it's a time to get as fucked up as possible before Lent, like sort of a last call on sinning before some of the fasting and other things start happening, uh, especially if you're Catholic. So, um, but let me tell you what it's like in Ecuador, at least. So I wake up Saturday to music blasting. Um, it's music from the mountains, like hillbilly country music of Ecuador. They call that uh, a pasillo. Pasillos is the type of music. Um, and I look out, and there's a guy with a pickup truck and a cowboy hat, just monstrous 15-inch speakers in the back of the truck, and he's just going for it, drinking liquor, blasting his music, getting some of the neighbors up and out into the street. Uh, we got the dog that we're borrowing from my wife's sister, so I have to take her out to take shits and so forth, and there's a group of neighbors hanging out on the street just drinking liquor middle of the day. 
The kids are running around having water fights, spraying foam from canisters uh, on unsuspecting people. They will literally straight up like soak you in water or or hit you with this foam or whatever. It's totally legit to like assault people in that way during carnival. Carnival. Um, they're all out having a good old time. And I'm not going to lie, I felt kind of antisocial and left out. I felt like I was the fucking Grinch or something, ready to retreat to Mount Crumpets. Uh, so I stay indoors because I'm not sure how to deal with it. Normally, this would have been a time to get, like, socially uh, lubricated. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. Because it is ridiculous. That's a stupid way of putting it. Uh, but to meet the neighbors on, like, a drunken level, make new friends on that drinking level. Uh, but no, the Grinch will hide in his little cave. Uh, so then we go down to Ambato. Or should I say up to Ambato? It's more north of here. Uh, where my wife's family is at. And I normally don't like going there kind of because I get bored. I mean, I like it in small amounts, you know, like a day is fine. But we stayed there a few days. Uh, we stayed in at night, and then during the day, we went downtown, and there were a whole lot of people milling around, you know, open containers, musicians, paintings, touristy knickknacks laid out on tables, uh, just packed with people and music blaring. Um, we went to the house of the great Ecuadorian author Juan Montalvo, which is now a museum. Uh, it's a very nice place. It was cool learning about him. Um, at the end of the museum tour, I guess, well, it's self-guided, but one of the last rooms that you would go in, um, you can view his mummified body in the coffee, in the coffin of this, uh, giant mausoleum this big room that has these high ceilings and all of his works are written on a border around the ceiling there. I just thought that was fantastic. Like when I die, I want my, you know, artistic works to be engraved on, uh, on a ceiling around my tomb, but I'm actually definitely going to be cremated. But anyways, it was inspiring to say the least. Uh, I bought one of his books. It seemed interesting um then we went to the museum and just saw an incredible amount of wonderful artworks uh to this art in this art museum and uh and the park and everything is just jammed packed with people everywhere it's also in ambato it's sort of a festival of fruit and flowers but mostly flowers there were a lot of like weird creations and so on like statues made mostly of fresh flowers enormous bouquets that sort of thing um, my mother would have loved it i'm not that into flowers but it was cool like the craftsmanship of some of the stuff i said look it up on the internet if you want to see what i'm talking about it's hard to describe but just type in uh ambato fruit and flower festival um we went out to eat we were milling around town uh, the parade was going to happen, but I wasn't into it. I'm not really a parade person. And then we went home and I just basically slept from like 5 p.m. to midnight. I wasn't feeling that great. I was dehydrated, hungrier than fuck. You know, we talked last week about halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I was a lot of those things. I was hat. <laughs> I wasn't lonely. But I was definitely hat. Um... 
So we stayed more time there, and uh, but let me tell you, I'm happy to be back here at my apartment, and I'm fully aware that maybe I need a better plan for next time. There's this expression, FOMO, fear of missing out. And we will get into that in the reflections portion of the podcast. But to be honest, I think I had the FOMO uh, this weekend. It was hard knowing that the world is getting fucked up, basically, and I'm just Mr. Museums or walking around looking at flowers like a fucking Momo. I'm the FOMO Momo at this point. Um, honestly, part of my sobriety has been throwing myself fully into my work and there was no work going on. I'm just sitting at the in-laws house, which drives me a little crazy. And I wasn't exercising. I wasn't doing anything, you know? So I need to have a plan. I need to think about what that plan may be. Um, as far as FOMO goes, uh, am I really missing out? I can say with conviction that yes, I am missing out because it's a different kind of thing. And let me explain. Um, Yes, I am missing out. That's a tough thing to say. I'm missing out on the negatives and positives of alcohol use. Okay, that's it. Just in relation to alcohol is what I'm missing out on. And that's what I need to understand. It's crucial for me to be honest and transparent about this. I'm missing out on the negatives and positives of alcohol use. You might be thinking, fuck you, DB. There are no positives. Stop lying. Of course, there are positives. It's just that the negatives outweigh the positives, and they always have. It would be fucking easy to quit if there were no positives. Trust me. You know that. Okay, so what are these so-called positives in relation to my weekend, okay? I could have got fucked up and made some new friends with the neighbors, maybe, okay? Number two, would have made the flower and fruit parade that I skipped out on bearable and possibly even entertaining, so I would have sat and watched this stupid fucking parade. Wonderful. Number three, may have been in a better mood all around because I was a little cranky. For a couple days straight, and that's a long time to be a little cranky, uh, cranky pants, you know, whatever the fuck you want to call it. So, but I'm going to leave those there, but I'm I'm not going to dismiss these positives out of hand, but watch me as I dismiss them out of hand, (laughs) because this is the type of shit that the alcoholic brain comes up with, okay? Number one, could have been more sociable with the neighbors, could have been some new friends. There is absolutely nothing preventing me from going over and talking to the neighbors on a real fucking level and getting to know them on a real level. You don't need alcohol to do that, believe it or not. You really don't. Uh, The reason that I don't do that is because, frankly, I don't care to. Okay, honestly, drinking around them as well gets you a reputation. I know I've had it before many, many times. I've been the drunk neighbor that always comes over when nobody wants his ass over and starts talking and talking and you're trying to like figure out like the neighbor's trying to figure out like how can I get this fucking guy off my porch? Jesus Christ, you know, um, So maybe I just feel lonely sometimes. And maybe I need a plan for that. 
I could probably use a few more friends. That's something I maybe should be working on in this uh, big year. This is the big year podcast, the big year of changes. Most times I feel perfectly fine alone, which is not something I feel so much when drinking, but, uh, you know, it's good to connect with people. Um, but again, you know, the fact that I would rely on alcohol to make new friends is just fundamentally, logically unsound, okay? Uh, and we and we can get into that in the future when we address. We could I could do a series that's like hungry, angry, lonely, tired. One episode could be hungry. The second episode, angry. It doesn't really make any sense because uh, how am I going to do a hungry episode? I don't know. Maybe if I find some, like, science, and we could talk about nutrition, what real, like, satisfying of your hunger is. Uh, I don't know. All right. Number two, about making the parade bearable, which I had said, like, uh, maybe if I would have been drinking, I would have stayed and watched the parade. Um, I wouldn't have gone home and went to sleep early, all cranky and I keep looking for a synonym for cranky, but that's, it's just the perfect word for it. Cause it's some old man shit and some baby shit at the same time. Anyways, first of all, uh, we'd been walking around downtown for maybe six hours at that point where the parade was going to start in like two hours after I decided to leave. Uh, I also drank coffee with sugar, um, which fucks with my emotions sometimes. Like, I drink a lot of caffeine, but for some reason, like, straight sugar, I don't know. I might have made myself diabetic through my drinking career. I really don't know. Um, either way, like, I have intense mood swings when I fuck around with, like, actual spoonfuls of sugar. Um, mood swings. <laughs> Fantastic. This is on the internet forever. Uh... Then I wasn't eating very much, drinking water in the high altitude, so take care of those things. Um, if I would have taken care of those things, would I have been as, as pissy, as cranky? I think not. So, uh, Also, sitting and drinking, watching the parade means I have to have a bathroom really close to me because once I break the seal, you know, I'm drinking a bunch of beer, it's fucking on. You know, I'm in the bathroom every fucking five minutes, maximum. And all the storefronts are closing because of the parade. So where was I supposed to take a piss? Certainly, I think it would have been uncomfortable, not only for me, but for my wife, who would be worried because I would disappear every three seconds to find some place to piss. Also, the thieves come out for carnival. So if I didn't lose my phone by having it fall out of my pocket in a drunken stupor, it is extremely likely that somebody would have jacked it anyways. Okay. And notice how I always kind of relate these things to being in a drunk because for me, two drinks or whatever, three drinks and enjoy the parade, not going to happen. It's going to be, you know, minimum six or nothing. So the third thing that I said is uh, I had just jotted down, you know, I feel like I would have been in a better mood all around. Um, not likely. It's not like when I drink, I suddenly get to do everything I want to do. The only thing that would put me in a better mood is this idealized version of that day that doesn't exist. 
literally does not exist. But basically one where me and my wife get a hotel. I get as shit-faced as possible. I don't fight with her. I don't piss on something I shouldn't piss on. I don't throw up. I don't fall asleep in the bathtub, wake up pale and shivering. I'm not miserable for six or seven consecutive hours the next day. Um, On and on and on. It doesn't exist. The fantasy, it doesn't work like that. I know it doesn't work like that because I've lived 25 years of it. So fuck you, FOMO. (laughs) All right? Fuck you, FOMO. Now, next year, next year, I I am formulating my plan slowly but surely. Next year, I'm going to embrace fucking carnival. No, I'm not going to drink, but I'm going to buy a bunch of those fucking foam canisters uh, and spray people and shit and water guns and shit, water balloons. I'm going on the fucking attack. If I see you drinking, I'm going to fucking spray you down like it's going to be sober me versus fucking everyone. And how's that for antisocial, okay? But I, I think that sounds a lot funner than sitting around whining and feeling all depressed, FOMOing my life away. But I survived this year. I'm redoubling my efforts to understand how to enjoy being at the in-laws' house, to enjoy life when it seems like the whole world is drunk as shit and having a great time. Um, nobody ever said this thing was easy. But we take it one day at a time, don't we? So that's what's been going on so far. How has your week been going? Drop me a line at bigyearpodcast at gmail.com and we can talk about it. Uh, But now we got to get into the news, the news, the news. Booze in the news. Booze. News, yeah. 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 All right. Um, this one is from uh, U.S. News and World Report in their health news section. Came out on the twenty second, which is today. Um, it says alcohol might speed Alzheimer's progress in brain, comma. Animal study suggests by Cara Mures. Mures. Um, the point of the article basically is, uh, well, I think it's one of the first sentences here. Even modest drinking can speed up the loss of brain cells and formation of the plaques that are a hallmark of Alzheimer's disease research in mice shows period. Um, this doesn't surprise me at all. When I quit drinking, um, I was very close to slipping out of reality on a daily basis. I think a lot of our listeners can relate. And when your life centers around drinking, that you sort of slip into this little weird zone where everything is sort of dreamy, kind of, until it isn't. Dreamy might not be the right word. Foggy. Um, your brain can make associations that just aren't real very easily, especially when you're blacked out. Um, I wonder if having Alzheimer's is like being blackout drunk. I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, ask anybody in my family. I always said that when I get old, I'm definitely having some sort of neurodegenerative disorder because I could, I could just feel it coming on. Um, like I misplaced my car keys every day and I started forgetting my daughter's name and shit. 
wake up shivering, not knowing if I was real human or primordial ooze, you know, order at the drive-thru and then almost constantly just drive past the pickup window and not pick up the food, you know, that kind of shit. You ever experienced shit like that? My sister thinks that shit is ADD. And yes, I've been diagnosed with that, but honestly, things have gotten so much easier without alcohol. I don't forget shit half as much. Okay, let's go on here. Um, it says, in this study, the researchers found that even moderate drinking caused elevations in blood sugar and markers of insulin resistance. This increases the risk of type 2 diabetes as well as heart and vascular disease in addition to Alzheimer's disease. Moderate alcohol use also altered anxiety and dementia-related behaviors. It does not explain what that means. I'm assuming for the worse, um, as it has in my life. These preclinical findings suggest that even moderate consumption of alcohol can result in brain injury, McCauley said in a university news release. This is like a doctor... Yeah, I, I don't know. I took the snippet. Macaulay, Macaulay Culkin said during in a new university news release, alcohol consumption may be a, mo- a modifiable risk factor for Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Modifiable risk factor. Why is it a modifiable risk factor? Because you cannot, you can stop drinking. You can stop drinking. Okay, that's what makes it modifiable. You're not necessarily cursed with this risk factor. Um, and here they make sure to specify as well. However, comma, animal research often yields different results in humans, period. It does. It really does. But, um, you know, when I was looking for stuff about Alzheimer's and alcohol, I came upon an article that came out years ago called um, Adolescent Binge Alcohol Enhances Early Alzheimer's Disease Pathology in Adulthood. Okay, just one example of a study that pops up when you're talking about Alzheimer's and alcohol. Just Google those two words together and it's pretty clear. Um, From Alzheimer's.org, for example, uh, alcohol and consumption in excess... Alcohol consumption in excess has well-documented negative effects on both short- and long-term health, one of which is brain damage that can lead to Alzheimer's disease or other forms of dementia. And I'd like to add, me personally, um, fucking wet brain, or what's called Korsakoff syndrome, okay? Look that up. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Watch some YouTube videos of people that have that. K-O-R... S-A-K-O-F-F. Okay. I came close to that. It's fucking scary. All right. All right. Enough about all that. What what did we learn today? Alcohol and Alzheimer's are like good buddies. More research about this stuff's going to come out. In 50 years, it's going to be like, How could we have thought any different? Watch. All right. Time for reflections. Reflections. Reflections.
reflections, reflections, shut the fuck up. Oh, it's time for the weekly reflection, and today I want to talk about the last time I quit before this. Um, now, these quit attempts, they only count for me when it's over a month, uh, and I was able to quit for like, I think, four months, which at the time was like my all-time record since I began heavily drinking at 15 years old. Um, first drink was way before that, of course. All other times, uh, I tried to quit in my life for a month or less before this four-month record. Now, this was back in 2016, I think, a long time ago. I made it four months and I went back, but I'm so glad that I tried back then because some of the shit just stuck with me. First of all, what stuck with you? First of all, I realized that I was a pure, pure alcoholic and something in my brain chemistry had changed permanently, seemingly permanently, I, I should say, not permanently, had changed to where I felt like I could truly, I truly could not enjoy myself without alcohol. Truly. It's called, um, I really don't know how to pronounce this, An anhedonia, A-N. H-E-D-O-N-I-A. Anhedonia. It's basically where you can't experience pleasure. Your brain is fucking fried. You can't experience pleasure. Now, I couldn't experience pleasure without alcohol. I learned that about myself over those four months, which was a scary thing to learn and a miserable thing to learn. And no wonder why I went back to drinking. I mean, I, I, I knew that before then. I knew that my brain had been rewired to only accept kind of alcohol as a form of pleasure, but I kind of figured it would go away in a couple months. And But unfortunately for me, it did not work like that. Um, I had sufficiently damaged my pleasure pathways enough so that they were only, you know, related to alcohol, just... That's it. All other pleasures had to wait until I was drunk, you know. Anything that most people find, you know, fun, illuminating, thrilling, you know, I had to drink first or I wouldn't enjoy it, period. Sober sex, gross. Watching a new movie in the theater or something that I've been looking forward to for months, gross. Sober, gross. Going on a hike. Hike's a little bit different. Hiking is a little bit different because, um, I don't know, something about burning all those calories and putting your body through torture. If you hike far enough and hard enough, you kind of forget about drinking because it's brutal. But whatever it was, it sucked sober. Um, I drink first, then we try another pleasurable activity, right? Okay. Um, I quit back then because, well, like every time I quit, I was very, very, very unhappy, almost suicidal, fucking up at home, work, everything. It's not even really worth a lot of time talking about why I quit. It's just a revolving kind of gigantic list of reasons to quit all the time, whether it's something that I did something, you know, embarrassing or whether I 
I was fucking sick or I look in the mirror, my hair's falling out. I'm like, oh my God, alcohol's killing me. You know, whatever it is. I was distinctly aware that drinking was beginning to get really nasty for me and it wasn't so fun anymore, which is, you know, it's probably been like that since, almost since the beginning. So not anything new, but for some reason or other, it really stuck with me that time for the four months. Um, and I'd like to play you something now. Actually, I have a recording from that time when I was sober and how miserable I was. It says, during my sobriety, my, um, I put it on one of my records, this recording. I think I'll play it here. This was when I was a couple weeks sober, maybe a month. I was going fucking insane like really upset. I was on the edge of going out and buying booze and my girlfriend was there at the time and she didn't want to see me relapse, obviously. So what she did was put a little recorder in my face, one of those little handheld recorders, and she turned it on hoping that something valuable would spring from this conversation I was having with her outside of my trailer in the trailer park. Like maybe one day I could reflect on it and learn something. I kept a recording, and then later when I was fucked up out of my mind drinking and smoking fucking crack, I put it on this record that I made as the first track. Um, But honestly, I'd forgotten that the recording device was on a lot through this, so this isn't, like, manufactured in any way. This is me whining in real time about my alcohol problem. Now, it is slowed down with weird piano over it, because this was the beginning of my album, and it's the only surviving recording of this. So it's slowed down, and, and it's going to sound weird. You know, don't get too creeped out. Uh, it's the beginning of my record, you know, and uh, pain is a universal language. So that's that's how, this is, uh, you want to know what my music is like. This is how I start a record. Um, here we go. No more explaining, right? Here we go. So why am I ruining your life? (laughs) Why am I ruining your life? Because you won't let me relax. How is it that you want to relax? I want to go buy some booze. (laughs) Why do you think that's a good idea? There's nothing more that I want to do. Do you believe that you can choose your attitude about things? Yes. Could you choose to have an evening that wasn't miserable? Without alcohol? Stop drinking in the first place. Because I didn't want to lose you. And I thought that I needed to be present in our lives in order to keep me. I think that's pretty true still. Yes. 
thank you for two twenty four hours to help kill myself. Something that's true is true all the time. It's not sometimes true. It's not true Monday through Friday, it's just true. It's mostly true. No, there's no mostly true. It's either true or not true. That's that dualistic thinking about duality. There are gray areas in life, you know, there are gray areas. That's true. Please get that thing out of my face. It's so close to my face right now. Just, if you want to record me... Cracking up. In the last week, and the Why week before that, and the week before that, ever since our shitty vacation down south. You thought that vacation was shitty? It's horrible. Why? Okay, I hope you caught most of that. Um, I just realized you should probably read a transcript of it. The girlfriend we can call J and I'll be D, okay? D, you're ruining my life. J, so why am I ruining your life? D, because you won't let me relax. J, how is it that you want to relax? D, I want to go buy some booze. J, why do you think that's a good idea? D, because there's nothing more that I want to do. J, do you believe you can choose your attitude about things? D, yes. Could you choose to have an evening that wasn't miserable without alcohol? Maybe. I don't know. I could eat your hair like grass. Okay, I was losing my mind at this point. Uh, J, why did you decide to stop drinking in the first place? D, because I didn't want to lose my mind. I needed to stay present in our lives and unintelligible. I can't even interpret what I said there. J, do you think that's pretty true still? D, yes, but it can't be true 24 hours a day. I might kill myself. J, something that's true is true all the time. It's not sometimes true. And blah, blah, blah. She goes on to explain there. D, it's mostly true. J, there's no mostly true. It's either true or not true. Blah, blah, blah. D, that's that dualistic thinking. There are gray areas in life, you know. J, that's true. D, please get that thing out of my face. It's so close to my face. If you want to record me, and I'm talking about the recorder at this point. D, um, I'm cracking up. I've been cracking up since the week before, the week before that, ever since our shitty vacation down south. J, you thought our vacation was shitty. D, it was horrible. J, why? All right. <laughs> That's the tape. Uh, there's a lot to say about that, but I want to focus on a couple things. Why I played this for you and why I think it's important. Um, first of all, you're listening there to a man in pain, in terrible pain. Yeah, I know there's the piano, the creepy, horrible piano that probably creeped you the fuck out. Um, and the slow down voices and stuff like that, which kind of accentuates the pain a little bit. But trust me when I tell you that that man there on that recording was in terrible pain. Uh, I can laugh and make jokes, but yeah. 
Uh, and I remember that like distinctly the frustration of having quit and everything still feels the same and horrible or worse. Um, and honestly, I was using willpower there and my willpower wasn't that strong. Uh, not like willpower would ever be strong enough to be honest with you, but, um, I was also going through withdrawal, maybe not immediate withdrawal as it was a few weeks in, but definitely withdrawal. And I probably should have been on some sort of medication, something for dopamine. This was me under serious depression. Um, and as they say in AA, you know, pour me, pour me, pour me a drink. <laughs> the AA slogans crack me the fuck up, man. Really, they're so stupid, but they're so fucking uh, real, you know. Same time, it's true. You know, you can't debate what's can't debate some shit like that because that's what it led into pour me pour me pour me a drink okay uh also this was before i had the knowledge of exactly how harmful alcohol is to human beings that it's literally a poison that helped me a lot this time around reading um alcohol explained by william porter reading a lot of other things uh starting to pay attention to the science paying attention to my body itself understanding you know oh wait here's why i wake up in the middle of the night uh sweating or here's why i wake up angry and energized and psychotic fucking every morning okay here's the part that alcohol plays in my emotions um because i don't know about you but alcoholism ruining your relationships and your job and your family life isn't enough to quit (laughs) not for me anyways it was never enough you can always blame a lot of that shit, that external shit, on other people, you know. Oh, my boss fired me because my job sucks, you know. Not because I'm a alcoholic that was passing out at work. It's because my job sucks. My boss is a dick. My mom hates me because she can't stand the truth, right? How many people have relationships like that with people in their family? They just don't understand. Okay. My children are afraid of me because they're little fucking cowards. <laughs> you know, they're just built that way. They're just jumpy. I don't know. I don't know where the fuck they get it from. Jumpy. <laughs> All right, shit like that. But anyways, when we frame things in the light of like, okay, this is an addictive substance. You are addicted to alcohol. Things start to kind of makes sense and i hadn't quite reached that realization yet that it was a full-on addiction like heroin like nicotine like anything else that you get addicted to so you live in that kind of misery when you're trying to get sober like that that halfway point of you know can't there's something in my brain telling me that i can't drink But at the same time, I want to drink. So I'm just going to stay in this place of horrible pain. And this is that that area is where the battleground is when you're trying to quit drinking. Like, that's it. That's the whole thing, in my opinion. Okay. And you can write me and disagree with me all you want. But in my opinion, the entire battleground of whether your quit is going to be successful or not is on the battlefield of. This dualistic thinking, this idea of I can't drink 
but I want to drink. Okay? If you can get the fuck off that battlefield and get out of that horrible, tense fucking zone of that dualistic thinking and realize that there's a third way, oh my God, that's when it starts to become so sweet and that's what we're doing right now. That's what I'm doing this year, okay? And hopefully you're doing it with me this year. Or you aren't. And you're living in that kind of miserable place that we're talking about and you're looking for an excuse. Maybe you're praying somebody will die so that you can feel sorry for yourself enough to get drunk. Maybe you're wishing for tragedy. I can't be the only one that's ever done this. Okay. But my excuse, because I was waiting for an excuse, my excuse came after I moved to Ecuador for the first time. Um, and that was that year between the stress of moving. I had just gotten a job at a university here and then I made a friend who liked to drink, who was like a real wild man. And then it was some kind of citywide festival that he invited me to. I think it was Inti Raimi, the sun God festival where people, they wear weird masks and parade down the street and pass liquor bottles around and, uh, dance in like conga lines basically. <laughs> Maybe not exactly that. Um, it's not the best description. Might even be insulting, and I'm sorry to the Incan sun god. I was told by my so-called friend at the time that I absolutely had to drink to hang with them in this parade, right? It's tradition. Um, they're passing around the liquor bottle, you know, from person to person to person, just sharing this high... High alcohol moonshine, basically. I'm in a new culture, uh, so that's my excuse. I went for it. Um, Postscript, he's not my friend anymore because he was an addict, uh, and eventually our relationship turned kind of violent. I think there were threats after being friends with him over a few months or something, some kind of cross-cultural miscommunication. Anyways, no explanation needed. Just wanted to show you how these things pan out sometimes. That, you know, you try and impress a friend. It doesn't end up being like a forever friend, okay? Anyways, um, so I come back to the crib. I'm all drunk. I tell my girlfriend, like, oh, it's just one time. You know, shut the fuck up. Relax. Uh, but I know how I feel. And secretly, I'm terrified because I feel fantastic. Um that's my excuse, you know, and it's time to get back into it. So then I go once or twice a week for about two weeks, and then I'm an everyday drinker again because that's just how insidious this shit is. You can tell yourself whatever you want, but eventually you get back to that thing, that daily drinking. Now, there are a lot of situations in Ecuador where I'm at right now that call for a drink, okay? And maybe you can relate being wherever you're at, whether you're in the States or Australia or, uh, you know, England or whatever. A um, lot of situations that suppose, that seem to call for a drink. Um, for here, my personal experience, let me talk about some serious cultural shit, okay? When you're in the Amazon, for example, hanging with the indigenous out there, they've got their chicha, which every house has. 
Uh, it's an alcoholic beverage that you drink, um, and you have to drink it, or you, you're insulting your hosts. It's like that scene in uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, where you know Indy's like Willie, the blonde-haired um, kind of love interest, I guess, won't eat what the Indian people are giving her in India, and. Jones is like, you're, what is it? You're insulting them and you're embarrassing me or something like that. I don't know. I fucking love that movie, but, um, they bring a big bowl of that shit out, this fermented chicha. And in a lot of places, they actually chew it up. Uh, they chew up these roots, I believe, or yucca or something, and they spit it into a bowl. And then they let that ferment. Um, I've had it both ways, you know, spit or mashed in a, uh, uh, I shouldn't say traditional, traditional ways, chewed up and spit out, uh, or just mashed is the other way. So they drink, they bring a big bowl of it out and everybody that's visiting the house takes turns sipping off of this bowl. Okay. Um, it's a serious insult if you don't drink the lady of the house's chicha, okay? There's also moonshine out there, which everybody wants to give you, and all different kinds of kind of homemade liquors that'll kick your ass, make you blind, whatever. Um, and across the country, there's other kinds of moonshines, like in the mountains, and, um, and of course, all the different holidays, and there's carnival, and festivals like Inti Raimi, and whatever else. So, what do I do now? being sober and living here when culture is my peer pressure okay cultural societal pressure i know like in england they have a big drinking culture and that's a whole nother thing i'm talking about really trying to fit in because i think in our home country sometimes we can just be antisocial and just be like fuck everybody you know but then there's this like when you're in another country you kind of want to please other people so, but what do I do? Here's the secret. Even though in those situations, people understand uh, if you have health concerns, okay? So to the indigenous people, honestly, I just lie. I say I'm on parasite medication, uh, which they know if you drink on parasite medication, you can literally die, okay? Or if I forget that excuse, I'll just say I'm deathly allergic, Okay. I guarantee you I'm not the first white man who has lied uh, to the Indians. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you that. Uh, now, the parasite medication thing is a good move. Pretty smooth, if I say so myself. Uh, to all the other people, regular schmucks, co-workers, those kinds of things, um, I just say no. It really is that simple. One could say, you know, oh, but Danny, you haven't really lived unless you've drunk moonshine with the jungle people under the light of the full moon. Um, I have. It's sad as fuck. It starts cool. Then somebody hits their wife. Somebody cheats on somebody. Somebody hits on their sister a little heavy. You know, freaky gross things happen. Or more likely... Just like anywhere else in the world, 
whether you're you're in the jungle or you're in a fucking Soho in New York City. That person you're drinking with just starts breathing on you a little too much. They start repeating that one phrase over and over again, whatever that phrase might be. Like, I love you. Like, pet my snake. Like... Shit's out of control. That's all I'm saying. I've had better times in the jungle than that. Sober. And we can get into that into in another episode. Some crazy sober shit. I'll give you two words. Hunting bats. Okay? Can't do that drunk. Alright, anyways. Overall, what's the point of this reflection? Can you give us some bullet points, please? You rambling fucking lunatic. Okay, couple bullet points here. Basically that I wasn't ready to quit then in 2016. It didn't work out. But that experience with quitting stayed with me and helped me out this time around. Um, I personally think people should quit as much as possible to get that practice for the one that sticks. You know, we all want the first quit to work, but what we should really want is that one that works forever, that gives you peace, where you're off that battlefield, off of that dualistic thinking. You're not thinking like, oh my God, I want to drink, but I can't, okay? You want to get to the place where FOMO isn't an issue. And that time I quit in 2016, that wasn't it, okay? The one I'm on now, totally fucking different, okay? And you should remember that too, that that this time around quitting doesn't have to be like the last time you quit, okay? All times quitting are not the same. This one is radically different from the last time, okay? Another bullet point. There's always going to be booze around. We need to adjust our relationship with alcohol so that FOMO isn't a thing, okay? And I just mentioned this, but just to focus, really focus on this idea of the FOMO. Fuck the FOMO, okay? Death to FOMO. Everybody else misses out. Okay, everybody else missed out on how fucked up I was for a couple decades and some change. They missed the party. I was there for the party in the fucking aftermath. I was there for the secrets. I was there for the pain. This podcast is about finding out together how to be socially, how to still have fun. Okay, is one part of this podcast. And in some ways, I'm still figuring that out. Hopefully, we can figure that out together. Uh, Not to say that I don't have ridiculous amounts of fun sometimes, okay? A lot of times. But um, I think for next year, really getting into the experience of Carnival without the booze, maybe dressing up, getting out those fucking water balloons, drinking a fuckload of caffeine, and just being a menace to society, that's what I'm going to try next year. Okay? How about you? What do you do when the cultural pressure comes? Like I said, in England, big pub, 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 pub culture. I've been reading about it a lot. I'm in this English group on Facebook, um, even though I'm not English. Hey, they talk about that a lot. I mean, apparently, that's like the whole thing in England, more than the U.S., which kind of surprises me. I think we're too busy fucking shooting dope into our veins in the United States, to be honest with you, you know? Trying to find some bootleg crocodile. (laughs) 
trying that waka block of life, whatever the fuck. What the fuck was that shit a while ago? Bath salts. We're on that bath salts, man. All you people in England need to fucking wake up. Smelling salts. How about that? I, th- I think I heard Joe Rogan <laughs> smelling some of those the other day. He was on that shit. Fucking it's pretty depressing for 50-year-old men. But nah, I'm just playing. Um. Okay. Now it's time for Dear Danny, where I answer listener questions in regards to freedom from alcohol or fuck it, life in general. Disclaimer, I am not a licensed professional. I am just a man with an opinion, and you know what they say about opinions. Disclaimer number two, this podcast is so new that I don't have any listener questions because I don't have any fucking listeners. However, I have found and repurposed shit off the internet, also solicited my family and friends for any questions they might have. And we got three fabulous questions coming up right now. This Dear Danny is also going to be shorter than it was last week because that bitch was long. Way, 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 way too long. All right. Dear Danny, I just quit drinking and feel the need to drink a lot of anything. With what drink can I replace my beloved alcoholic beverages? Beloved... Shit. Shit. All right. I'll take it serious. Um, there's a lot out there. You might hear that alcohol free people free uh peoples go hard on zero calorie sparkling water, especially in the first few months of sobriety. I am one of those people. It has to be zero calorie. And LaCroix is widely considered to be the best brand, though I encourage you to try others. Um, for me though, a Pamplemousse LaCroix, that's a fancy way of saying their grapefruit variety, is the fucking king. Oh my God, I can drink like, I want one right now actually, but, uh, no, we don't have LaCroix in Ecuador, so I drink a plain variety of sparkling water, unflavored. Oh, it's called Guitig, and it's fucking incredible really really good um if you ever come down to ecuador get yourself a guitig and we can fucking party (laughs) no flavor you don't need it stuff is amazing i was so hard up the first few months um i always had the 1.75 liter version of that just carrying it around swigging off of it like a hobo i mean i show up to parties with that you know, just a guitig in my hand, just boom, boom, just blasting it. Uh, my need to replace alcohol with healthy alternatives, as far as it drinks, has somewhat faded. Um, maybe after four months of drinking so much water, I'm good. <laughs> I've re I've officially rehydrated after 25 years of being dehydrated. So um, now I can take it or leave it, but if you're new to being alcohol-free, stock your fridge up with that shit. Drink like seven of those bitches while watching a movie. Drink ten of them at a barbecue. And if you're worried about the money, trust me, you won't always be spending like that um, just for now. 
you know, and for you bar drinkers out there, I'm sure it's cheaper. I was always drinking them 99 cent tall boy, so it is more expensive for me, but whatever. Um, oh, and a note, a side note here. I would be careful with alcohol-free stuff that mimics alcohol, like any beer, any wine. Um, I've had in my freedom from alcohol Heineken uh, 0, 0.0. Uh, and you have to be careful because some NA stuff is not actually alcohol-free. Um, I do believe that the Heineken is. Uh, I'm not terribly comfortable with how it made me feel, however. It's a little bit like, I don't know, taking a good-looking prostitute to dinner. <laughs> might not be fucking her, you know? You might not be cheating on your wife or something, but you have to ask yourself, like, why the fuck are you at dinner with a prostitute at this point in your life, you know? Why'd you even give her a call in the first place? I don't know. That's ridiculous. No offense to the ladies of the night out there. You are the best, and I have nothing against sex workers whatsoever. Um, all right, next question. <laughs> Dear Danny, I quit drinking, but my husband still drinks. I don't feel like I have the right to tell him to stop, but I'd be lying if I said it doesn't bother me. What can I do? This is a very, 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 very common question uh, that I see in every group that I'm a part of. I'm in a bunch of random groups, like I said, on the internet under different assumed names. So first off, I would air your concerns to your partner. You know, just lightweight tell them, I really don't want you to drink around me because I quit. I know that doesn't sound fair. There's no other reason, but it just makes me face temptation when I just really want to focus on you and our lives together, and I don't want to fucking be tempted all the time. And I am weak. You are strong. All right? You can say it like that. It doesn't matter. Like, you're not, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of, like, mental manipulation rather than really saying like you're a wimpy 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 person because we know you're not a wimp you're strong but for real i mean try that to start their reaction to that statement should tell you a lot i would also suggest venting to a group whether it's a facebook group or the stop drinking group on reddit or some close AA friends, or maybe even your run-of-the-mill ignorant friends who know absolutely nothing, you know? Be careful, because some people's reactions, especially those that are hardcore, like Al-Anon people, that's the group for people who live with alcoholics, basically, or have family members that are alcoholics, um, the hardcore Al-Anon people might tell you to, like, leave the relationship right away, they might be very much into diagnosing your significant other. I'm not terribly sure that's fair, and I have seen that turn badly. Um, and especially if you've been married for some time and you feel like your relationship is worth it. Obviously, run like hell isn't the greatest advice. But it is a problem, and it needs to be fixed. Find some other opinions, you know. Third, uh, you need to maintain your sobriety. 
by any means necessary. If you really think that you're going to relapse because your partner is still drinking, and newsflash, that's not why, because it's because you have FOMO, okay? <laughs> Probably. It's just my guess. I don't know. Could be dead wrong. Like I said, I'm not an expert. Fear of missing out, maybe. Uh, you could find some place to go for a while, get your thoughts straight. I'm not saying get divorced, you know. Just explain that you can't even think about this shit without taking a step back. If you need to reassure your partner that you love them, that is very much just about the alcohol issue, then do that. For God's sake, do that. Be straight up. We're just trying to stay away from judging others, you know, as our first reaction is what I'm trying to say. Because you're the one with the problem with alcohol. That's the one that you know, you know, in your heart. I know that I have a problem with alcohol. I have trouble telling somebody else that they do. Because I, it's hard to tell sometimes. Okay. And maybe you need to decide for yourself if your significant other is an alcoholic. And maybe stepping back will do that. I would not go by those tests, you know, the ones that I'm talking about, the um, where they ask, like, does your partner lie about drinking? Does your partner do this? Does your partner do that? Blah, blah, blah. Maybe you're a huge bitch about it, and I'd lie to you too. You know what I mean? You would not be the only un- insufferable sober person on earth. What you're trying to find out here is can your SO be happy without it? Does it seem like they're irritable if they don't have it? Are they using it to treat irritability? You know, that's a big sign for me. But honestly, I'm not comfortable giving this kind of advice. This like kind of like figure out if your significant other is an alcoholic, you know. Only they're going to really know and truly know. It's really not up to us. For the most part. I mean, yeah, if your partner's health is failing and they're just continuing to drink, some of the shit is pretty obvious, you know. But anyways, this topic's too big for a dear Danny. Um, why don't we why don't we cover this next week, okay? I can't promise you that we will cover this next week, but there's a there's a strong chance that we will. I feel like we will. It's a big topic, and I think I do have a reflection related to this. So in the meantime, think about some of the shit I said. Try not to be so emotional about it. It can those emotions can cloud your judgment, okay? Dear Danny. It's the last one, folks. Dear Danny. I fucked up and left the dog out when I was drunk and the dog ran away and now my kids hate me. They say that I lost the dog because I drink too much. How can I explain to them that all the fucked up things that we can blame on my alcoholism, the dog running away, is not one of them? Help me save my family. This motherfucker is trolling. (laughs) This motherfucker is trolling. Maybe he's for real. Or she... Let me ask you this. How do you know this isn't the fault of your drinking? Maybe the dog smelled alcohol in your breath and was like, fuck this shit. I'm tired of this fool. So he's either petting me too much or kicking my ass around the house. I've got to get out of here. Okay, that's how your dog 
inner voice sounds. And then he and then he runs away, you know. Uh, I'm serious. These pets can sense when you're off. I had a dog that could sense when I was fucked up out of my mind. She stayed the fuck away from me. I mean, not like I beat the shit out of the dog or chased it around or anything with a hammer. It's just, it just knew. It was just like, this guy's up to no good. He's got some glassy eyes. You know, like when you're at the bar and somebody's just completely glassed out and you get bad vibes from them? Like, oh, some shit's gonna, this is gonna be real bad. Yeah, pets, pets, same way. They can smell you, you know? They can tell when you got a serious alcohol problem. They don't like it. They like you happy, healthy. Booze is, booze fucks with your smell, you know, and more. I think the bigger issue here is that your kids think you drink too much. And knowing kids like I do, having some of my own, I can say they usually try to err on the side of thinking like you're invincible, you're like a god, like you can do no wrong until you kind of prove to them the opposite. So if you think if they think you drink too much and they come out and say it, like repeatedly over and over chances are maybe you drink too much to help yourself save your family get out there first thing get out there and find that dog like a sober person would i'm talking signs radio announcements social media postings whatever the fuck you got to do and get and then and same time get free from alcohol so your kids will stop ripping on you (laughs) it's embarrassing Pull it together, for God's sake. All right? All right, that's Dear Danny, and that's our show for today. If you want to send in a question to Dear Danny and be featured on the podcast, write us at bigyearpodcast at gmail.com. That is bigyearpodcast at oof, gmail.com. Sorry, I ate something weird today. Bigyearpodcast at gmail.com. Also, wherever you find this podcast, maybe if you have a little time, Take the time out of your busy day. Give it a five-star rating. That increases its visibility, makes it so that people like you can listen to it. Maybe they'll hear something, you know, gain a little something from all the gibberish that comes out of my fucking mouth. Just like one morsel that will make, you know, their day help keep them sober, all right? Or help them to quit. Plant a little seed, a little quitting seed. Anything, you know. That's kind of why I spew out a bunch of bullshit because, well, to me it's not bullshit, for one. I'm being, uh, what? what's that word? I'm being flippant. Um, it's it, it, It's not bullshit to me, for one. For two... Uh, the more I think th- these things out loud with you and mull them over my head, every once in a while I get kind of a snippet, a, a little taste of realization, a little blessing, you know, of insight into this condition and why I'll never drink again. And um, And I hope that's happening with you too, you know. So whatever you feel about it, thank you for listening. 
Uh, see you next Wednesday night for some more of that bullshit. Remember, this is your big year. Be honest with yourself. Love yourself. Challenge yourself. Peace.